the cover of your outline. This morning I want to talk to you about being more than what we see in ourselves. When God looks at you, he will always see more than what you see in yourself. When God sees you, he sees you with all of the purpose that he created on the inside of you. See, God never made anything not to be productive. Everything God created has purpose. And everything he created was created to be productive. In the beginning when he created Adam and Eve, he said to them, he said, be fruitful and multiply. So God meant that there would be increase upon your life. And he always sees more in your life than what you see. The challenge of living and walking with God is to get what we see to agree with what he sees. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, I put it on the cover of your outline. It says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Look at your neighbor and just tell him, he knew you were coming. You were not a surprise. Amen. Now watch. And before you were born, I sanctified you. The word sanctified, if you sanctify something, you set it apart to special purpose. We, we took these little, these little bottles are sanctified. Because they, they were created to contain. But we sanctified them and we've set them aside to be used to hold oil that we keep up here to pray for people. And so they are sanctified, set aside to specific purpose. God says, before you were born, I sanctified you. I set you aside to my purpose. And every one of you in this room, before you were born, God sanctified you and set you apart. That's what he declared to Jeremiah, but that's his declaration for every life. Are you with me this morning? That's his declaration over each and every one of us. And look what he says. And I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Not just to a couple of people. Not to your church. Not to your friend. Not to just give personal words to a handful of people. Look, at, he said, Jeremiah, I, I made, not, not just to Israel. I didn't make you a prophet just to Israel. I made you a prophet to nations. Isn't it amazing Especially when you read the book of Jeremiah and Isaiah, that there's words in here to nations. To nations. God sees more in you than what you see in yourself. The impact that God ordained your life to have goes beyond the boundaries of what you see. Are you with me this morning? Okay, make this declaration with me. It's a confession that I put up for us today. Father, I know that you have placed in me your plans and purpose for my life. I know that I will never fully see all that you have declared concerning me unless I learn to trust you and truly walk by faith. Holy Spirit, I need your help in my life. I know that I will never fulfill all that God has purposed for my life in my own strength. Father, I set my heart to seek you and to find you, to call upon you and to listen to what you would say. 
that I might may fulfill and see all that you have declared concerning me come to pass and finish the work you have given to me. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said, make your calling and your election sure. And that God has given to every man. Peter said, God's given to every man a vocation, a task. Jesus said in John uh, chapter uh, 14, he said, he that believes on me and the works that I'm doing, he's going to do also. Amen? And so it's so important that we understand that God has something that he desires to do through our life that brings glory to him that he placed inside of us. It's in us. And we agree it's amazing how that life and that purpose flows out of it. So look at the cover of your outline this morning. We're talking about being more than what we see in ourselves. Jesus said this in John 15. He said, and he said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go forth and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And he said, by this is the Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So he says, hey, you were appointed to bear much fruit. And some people look at their lives and say, man, you know, I'm just so insignificant. I don't know what I could ever do. And that's because when God sees you, he sees more than what you see in yourself. And if we could ever get you to have that paradigm shift, if you would just agree with the Holy Spirit long enough to let him just shift your perspective to where you by faith would believe in what God says about you. How many know Jeremiah had to believe what he heard God say? He goes, wait a minute, I'm just a youth. What am I doing? And God said, hey, don't worry about being a young person. Don't worry about your age. Don't worry about this. Don't worry about it. How many know every time God showed up to people, they all had an excuse? They were just like you. You've given God your excuses. And then you wonder, well, when's God going to show up in my life? When you get out of excuses, he'll start doing some stuff. Amen? All right. So watch this. God's purpose for our life is always beyond what we can see and comprehend with our own natural eyes and heart. What he placed in us and sees in us goes beyond what we see in ourselves. When God looks at us, he sees us as what he created us to be. God doesn't see you as you see yourself or as you are regardless of where you are in your station of life. He only sees you as he created you to be. He sees you full of his purpose and full of the assignment that he set on the inside of you. The only thing that he believes about you is what he put in you. Amen. Do you understand that? When he looks at you, the only thing he believes about you is what he ordained you to be. He doesn't care what life is happening. He doesn't care about anything else. And the moment you agree with what he ordained you to be, life changes. Amen. Stay with me. So when he looks at us, he sees us as what he created us to be. Our challenge is to break free from the insecurities that block our vision. It takes more than just a Sunday sermon or a quick morning devotion to align your heart with God's purpose in your life. I'm glad you come on Sundays and here. I'm glad you're going to take a devotional and read that. I'm do that. But it's going to take more than that to align your heart with God's purpose for your life. It takes more than that because you're going to have to renew your mind and build and strengthen your faith to agree with His Word concerning you. 
You're not going to renew your mind. I can help you. I can challenge you. I can spark the thought. But it's going to take more than just this moment to renew your mind. It's going to take more than this to build your faith. Are you with me this morning? Think about it. Destiny is already formed inside of you. Amen. I'm doing what comes natural out of me. That's a scary thought, isn't it? But God has something inside of you that's supposed to flow out of you. And it flows and it happens naturally. It's not what you... Ministry is not people... You don't go into ministry to make things happen. Ministry happens out of you. In fact, I talked to my friend Thomas Hogue yesterday. And uh, we're shooting a video for the Martin Luther King um, uh, celebration at Capital Christian Center together. And uh, he... uh, Which will be on January 17th. But he... uh, was asking me, he was talking about praying for things. Well, Don, how do you help people? How do you do this when they're stagnant and doing all these things? I said, Thomas, I've only learned this one thing. I said, when somebody says, I feel like I'm called, I said, they're, they're probably not. Because the call is not a feeling. It's a call. Because there are going to be times when you're no longer going to feel like you're called. The feeling will depart. <laughs> Elvis will leave the building. Amen, and you'll be all alone. Amen, Pastor Mike? And then you just have to sit back and go, you know what? This is a calling. This isn't a feeling. This is a calling. And, and it's purpose, and it's centered on the inside of me, and I cannot help but do it. And that's what God's purpose, the way it is. You do it because it's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's not a temporary thing. It's something that God put inside of you, and He wants to birth through you. Destiny is formed in you, but it's released only through dedication, devotion, and discipline, and a holy desire. And destiny never shows up by accident. Not just going to one day wake up. Ta-da! It doesn't happen that way. Genesis chapter 2. It began with Adam. Stay with me. How do we get knocked off of what happens and what God has for our life? Genesis chapter 2 and beginning, if you would, in verses 7 and 8. Look at this. And the Lord God formed man. He formed him of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. God formed man out of the dust of the ground and then he breathed into him the breath of life and man became alive. How many know the life and the breath of God carries with it all that he is? The life of God, the purpose of God breathed into you. And that's life that is productive. That that is life that has destiny in it. And look at that. And then in verse 8, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there He put the man whom He had formed. Or God assigned purpose to Adam's life. He formed him, puts life in him, and then assigns purpose to him. Skip down with me, if you would, to verse um, 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man. Everybody say commanded. Amen. You know, it's a lot today and in everything. You say, we're not under law, we're under grace. That's right, you are, you're under grace. But you're under grace, it also is covered by command. Adam in the Garden was under commandment. It wasn't under law, he was under commandment. And you and I live under commandment today. Are you with me? We live under that same kind of command. Place him under commandment, saying to him, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. I'm reading all this in preparation for what we're about to cover, but go over to chapter 3 and verse 1. 
Then the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat freely of the trees of the, of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and tree desirable to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. Look at your outline again. When you don't understand your purpose, you can be influenced by a deceiver. See, a lot of people going in life, how do they get that way? Because if you're not going to live with purpose, if you don't understand that God created you and formed you with this purpose, and He sees more in your life than you will ever see, and that's connected to His purpose, then you'll listen to somebody else's plan for your life. That's how the devil came. The goal of the deceiver is always to cripple you with failure. Once a man is deceived by the insecurity that flows from failure, it causes him not only to become self-conscious, but to hide and cover his newfound insecurity with lies, excuses, and blame. If you read on in Genesis chapter 3, that's exactly what happened. Adam and Eve realize they're naked. They run. They hide themselves. They make fig leaves. God shows up and says, hey, why are you hiding? Where are you? Oh, hey, we're naked. Who told you you were naked? So now they're covering themselves. And then, well, not me. The woman may be. Then I'm naked. Next thing you know, I'm naked. And then the snake got the woman. And then this and that. And you gave me the woman anyway. Everything was fine. When you and me, we were good. Then the woman, the thing. And so he goes, not only him blaming the woman. Now he's blaming God. And then the snake gets brought into it. Same thing happened. Are you with me? See, it hasn't changed since the beginning of man's existence. The deceiver comes to cripple us with failure through our choices. Man believes he must look outside of himself to be complete. I'm trying to tell you today that God sees more in you than you will ever see in yourself. It is already in you. He's not asking you to bring something new outside to add to your life. That's not going to make your life more complete. What makes you complete is when you allow what He put in you to begin to flow out of you. That's where true completeness comes from. Everything man was created to become, God placed on the inside of him according to his purpose for man's life, even his companion. You ever think about that? God said it's not good for man to be alone, so I will make him a companion. He didn't just go over and form new dirt. He took Eve out of him. The, the need of his companionship was in him, and God formed it out of him. And, and, and the principle is that God put everything you will need for your life in you. It will flow out of you. He put his, his provision with His purpose inside of our life. Man's choices produce a failure, and man begins to hide from the voice that calls him back to purpose. God wasn't calling Adam back out so he could condemn him. He was calling him back out so he could restore him. Now man's focus is no longer on the potential in his future, but on finding a way to cover his inadequacies that he now feels inside. The deceiver has succeeded in his task. God's man is crippled by failure. Isn't it amazing today that everything has an excuse or a set of initials connected to it? We're either AD. I mean, when we was growing up, the only ADHD we had was adult attention and disorder. 
you were ADD, it's because the adults in your life weren't paying attention to you. Amen. And when they did, they would straighten that out, not with a drug, but with a rod. Hallelujah. Amen. All right, moving right along. But I mean, everything today, and it's not my fault. I have this, I have that, I was born, I have this to fear, I have that to fear, I have this, I have that. And so all we have is excuses for failure and inadequacies and insecurities. I was born this way. I was dropped, not hard enough. Amen. So what happens? The focus is no longer on potential. What's next? Faith to become is now replaced by the fear of I'll fail again. What could have been sinks into the quicksand of what has been. The future is swallowed up by the past. And hope is choked by despair. And destiny lies dormant in the wasteland of brokenness. But the truth still remains and prevails. God still sees more in us than what we see in ourselves. Assignment never leaves the seed. All it needs is the rain. If this tic-tac was a seed, then the assignment would already be in it to reproduce after its own kind. Now, we've become very creative with all of our scientific knowledge. So we've learned how to inject things into seeds. We've learned how to alter things. We've learned how to make it better. You know, we've learned how to make hybrid stuff, you know, genetically engineered. We, we learned how to fix what God made. You know, he's, if he'd have taken eight days, maybe 14, we, you know, we wouldn't have to be genetically engineering seed. No, if we'd follow God's plan, things would be better. If we would let the earth rest one out of every seven years and give the earth the Sabbath and rotate our crops and follow His plan. Anyway, moving right along. But, but the seed, the seed has an assignment in it. Now anything I add to the seed isn't going to make it any better. All the seed needs is soil and water and light. And it'll produce what it contains on the inside of it. And what's in it is greater than what you will ever see looking at it. It's greater than anybody would even conceive or understand. And when God sees you, He sees more than what you see. When you see your life, you see your tic-tac and life is just going to consume you. But God sees the significance that He placed inside you and the assignment that's on the inside of you. And it never, your life never loses like the seed never loses its assignment. The deceiver can only deceive. Hear me this morning. All the devil can do, all the enemy can do is only deceive. He cannot stop or cancel purpose. You need to hear this this morning. No matter what your failure has been, no matter what the things have happened, he cannot stop or cancel purpose. He must get us to give up on it. The only way and the only one who can cancel the purpose and the plans and the assignment that God put on the inside of us is us. We have to give up on it. We have to agree with somebody other than God. God always sees His purpose predestined, predestined plan within us. Go with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 3. Are you doing all right this morning? I just want to encourage you as we end this new year. Let's believe God to see more this year. 
I mean, I'm glad for everything we've done. I'm excited for everything we've done. This is one of our best years at our church. We saw God do so many great things. But He still has more than what we've seen. He could do more. We could reach more people in this county. We could do more things and make a greater difference in people's life than we ever have before. I don't want to stop at this. I want to see the more that God has. Amen? Praise the Lord. Ephesians 3, we'll read that in just a moment. But why? God sees His purpose and predestined plan within us, even when we do not. And we try to hide from Him and from ourselves like Adam did. We read it, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the thoughts and the plans that I have for you. Thoughts for good and not for evil. Thoughts to give you a hope and a future. When God sees you, He only sees forward. He never looks backwards. Do you understand that? God never lets your past determine your future because your future is in the assignment that He placed on the inside. All God ever sees is what He created you to be. He never sees your failures. He covers your failure. That's what's so was cool. I, I explained it last week in Bible school that, that when we were talking about the, the tabernacle and the temple and that and went inside the Holy of Holies and inside the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant and on top of the Ark of the Covenant was a mercy seat and the cherubims with their wings stretched out over it and the priest went in on, on the Day of Atonement and, and, and he would place the blood on top of the of the Ark of the Covenant in the mercy seat there, and the blood would flow out, and it filled that little tray on, on the altar there. And the significant was, and and the significance of that, and the and the principle of that is that it, it, in Levi, in uh, Exodus when God says, "When I see the blood, I will." Passover. Amen? So we have Passover. We celebrate that. And they put it on the doorpost. When I see the blood, I will pass over. So the blood is placed there. And Israel on the Day of Atonement, that blood, when it was set upon there, there was a law. The Ark of the Covenant contained the tablets of Moses' law. It, co- it contained a, a jar of manna. Uh, you couldn't eat it because it's more than a day old. But it contained a jar of manna. And, that, and then it contained uh, Aaron's rod that budded. And those three things were in the Ark of the Covenant. But the law was in there. The commandments were in there. And the things that, that declared Israel's sin and judgment against them. But when the blood was applied, he couldn't see that. He could only see the blood. Amen. And so all he could see was future for them, not judgment for them. Do you understand that? And so when you and I come to cry, God only sees future for you. He doesn't see path. He doesn't see failure. The reason for the blood is that the blood covers our sin. And God says, I don't see your path. I don't see your failure. I only see your future. Glory to God. So if we understand that, it's amazing. Hallelujah. So think of Ephesians chapter 3. And beginning in verse 8, Paul says, And to me who am less than all of the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. How many have been saved for a while? Can I just be nice to you and tell you you don't know nothing yet? Amen, Amen, Pastor Mike? How long have you preached the gospel now? Since 1960. Amen. Okay. So, for 56 years, he's been preaching the gospel. Amen. Have you learned anything new lately? Always. Why? Because it's the unsearchable riches of Christ. You know what the deceiver does? He comes and says, oh, well, you know, pastor's just going to preach the same stuff he preaches all the time. You don't need to go to church. You're not going to learn anything new. You already know it. You are so smart. You are so spiritual. The Bible says they are the unsearchable riches of Christ. No matter how long you serve, no matter how long you give, you give your whole life. 
and you will find out there are still more. I'm amazed. After 37 years, I'm still finding, every time I open this book, something new is revealed. This is an unsearchable book. This is a, 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 an unquenchable gift. You never get to the end of it. It never runs out. And then you just keep going, glory to God. That is awesome. I never saw that. And I've seen that before. <laughs> you look at that, well, how come I never got that? How come I don't get that? Because God continually reveals. And the same way you'll never run out of this book, He sees more in you than you see in yourself. It's only when we stop and think that we have arrived, that we're mature, that we're, we no longer need to press, we no longer need to grow, that everything becomes constricted and constrained in our life. And we get dry. So he says, I'm preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ. And look at this. And to make known to all people. And to make all people see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which is from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, that's you and I, to principalities and powers in heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose. I mean, it was planned in eternity. It's being fulfilled now in our life, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him hallelujah man now look at verse 20 and 21 now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that's working where in so not only did he put his purpose in, he put his power in us and it's working in us and if I believe that he's looking seeing more than what I see and if I just say God let me see what you see Glory to God. Great things happen. Hallelujah. Think about it. The voice of God came to Adam, and he was called out from being fallen to restore. The question is, where are you? And God called you. Can a man really hide from God's presence? How silly is that? Adam over there hiding in the bushes. Surely he won't find me here. Dude, he made the garden. Amen. Wow. See, see, I, I can't, I get it. You could go a long ways with that thought right there, amen. What about Noah? Noah was changed from a husband and a father to the voice of righteousness. Amen. No, just a, just a normal guy. Noah's you, just a normal guy. And, and, and person, just living for God, living out his own life, trying to keep himself unspotted from the world, trying to live the best he can to be righteous for God. And then all of a sudden, God, Noah. And, and he shows up. He says, no, I need you to build an ark. Build an ark? Okay. Now what? How many, when you think God's going to ask you to do something, you know, it's maybe like a 14-foot skiff? And no, no, it says, it's going to be the size of the empire. God said, it'll be like the size of the empire state building. No, it said, what's the empire state building? Anyway. <laughs> it's going to be big. No, saying, God, I, I don't have a saw. I mean, how, you know, you think about, think about the boat and the lumber, and it's like there was no power. No wonder it took 125 years to build the thing. But you're going to build, and then you're going to hand you, and you make, and it's going to be large enough, and you get all these animals in there. It's going to be amazing. Gonna be... No, that, that's why I have you. How many know God sees more in you? Than what you see in yourself. What about Abraham? 
Abraham went from the father of none at 75, being told at 75. I always think about that. I'm 13 years away from my prime. (laughs) Honey, get ready. It was a miracle with Abraham. From the father of none to the father of nations, end of our faith. Abraham, God said, Abraham, you'll be the father of nations. And he is the father of your faith. Because God sees more in you than you see in yourself. What about David? David went from an obscure shepherd boy to God's chosen king. What about Elisha? Just from a faithful son to a man of God, prophet and the voice of God. Think about Elisha, just out there plowing, being faithful to his father, the family business, taking care of that, and and, and just plowing with that 12 yoke of oxen, just going along there, just being faithful. He's not being in the mud grove. He's not even thinking, well, you know, here I am plowing, but I really am a prophet. He had no idea. It's in him, but he had no idea. So God spoke to Elisha on the mountain in the cave. He says, now you go anoint Elisha. Because I've ordained him to be. He doesn't know it. He's plowing in his father's field. But I've ordained him to be the next prophet in your place. And so when Elisha walks up, Elijah walks up to Elisha, and he just comes up, and he throws his coat on him, mantle, and he just leaves. Wait a minute, this is the mantle of the prophet. This means I'm not a plow boy. I'm a God man. I'm not just a man to plow. I'm a man of God. God is calling me out as His man. And God knew it before Elisha. God sees more in you than what you see in yourself. And Elisha runs after Elisha. Wait, 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 wait. He said, what did I do to you? God's purpose. God just told me to tell you what he sees in you. I'm just here to tell you God sees more in you than you see in yourself. 2015 could have been a great year, but it is nothing to what God sees in you for this coming year. Hallelujah. God sees more in you than you see in yourself. What about Peter? Peter was a failing fisherman. Have you ever noticed in the news, you go along, every time Jesus showed up with Peter, Peter caught any fish? No, not really. <laughs> Jesus is like, man, this guy's going to starve if I don't help him out. He's going to go bankrupt. Peter, other side of the boat, dude. Oh, wow. Fish. And then even after the resurrection, Peter goes back to what he was failing at. Go back to fishing. Jesus shows up again. Hey, do you have any fish? No, not really. Uh, Other side of the boat. Okay. (laughs) So God takes him from a failing fisherman to becoming a fisher of men and an apostle. Wow. What about Paul? From the one who persecuted the church to the one who preached, proclaimed it, and died for it. I mean, no, Paul didn't see that in himself. But God saw that in him. Think about it. God always sees more in us than what we see in ourselves. 
He still desires to work through us and accomplish His purpose in our lives in spite of our failures and insecurities. Go with me to Luke chapter 15. Are you doing okay this morning? Come on, God sees more in you than you see in yourself. He sees all that He placed inside of you coming to pass. Luke chapter 15 and verse 20, speaking of the prodigal son and his father. And it says of the son that he arose and came to his father, but he was still a great way off. His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Come on. You look at your failure. You look back. Oh, God couldn't use me. God couldn't do that. I'm just coming back. I, I have so much in my path. And, and the father goes, uh, uh, really, he didn't even hear the son. He said, hey, my son's back. Go and get the robe. Go and get the ring. Go and get the, and get the shoes. Put them on. This is my son. This is not a failure. This is not an outcast. This is my son. When God sees you, He always sees you as His child. And He always sees you with the fullness of His purpose on the inside of you. He never sees you as the world sees you. And how many know that even when God brings restoration in our life, there's always somebody in the background like the older brother that wants to remind you of your failures. He'll let you go. Amen. But how many know that God doesn't listen to older brothers? Hallelujah. This is what I know. I know what it's like to have to call my mom and my dad and say, help me get out of here. I know what it's like in the summer of 1978. Can you help me get out of here? If I don't get out of here, I will not be alive. They sent me the money to leave Montana and come here. I know what it's like to lose what you hold most dear. I know what it's like to be told that because of your path, you cannot pursue or expect to receive the dream of your present. I know what it's like to have to learn to believe that my failures cannot abort God's love and purpose for my life. I know what it's like to be able to believe and live and build again. I know what it's like to have to wait for over 18 years to be restored to your son. I know what it's like to have your heavenly father run towards you and meet you with his embrace and kiss. I know what it's like to experience His forgiveness and to be restored to position and purpose just as if I never left. That's the heart of God. And when God saw me, He saw me with all the purpose and all the potential that He ever put on the inside of me. And He sees you exactly the same way. You see, the day we moved against our conscience, we left home. Only to be influenced by a deceiver. Because we didn't understand our purpose. But the day you understand your purpose, the devil loses his power of deception over your life. But either way, the Father comes and He receives us. He forgives us and restores us. And once again, we have faith to believe and live for the purpose He placed on the inside of us. So let me ask you this morning as I close, what will it take for us to see what He sees in us? Maybe it just takes 21 days. Maybe it takes 21 days this year. It's, not going to, it's going to take more than a Sunday service. It's going to take more than your regular devotions that you do religiously to be a good Christian. It takes more than that. It takes a pursuit. It takes a going after. It takes a hunger. It takes a thirst. It, it'll take dying to some things and living to something new. It takes a putting off of the old so that you can put on the new. 
It takes more. It takes setting time aside to pursue God. It takes having a greater hunger for His purpose than for your desires. I mean, I like to eat. I really do. One of my favorite hobbies. I'm fairly religious about it. I turn towards the refrigerator three times a day and pray. Amen. Hallelujah. How many know what I'm saying? We have that. The, the, the thought of giving up food. And then we think, oh man. And then we start telling yourself, oh, you know, I have conditions. I have this, I have that. Well, if, if you have medical conditions and you have to take medication, you have to eat with that, yeah. But God would never ask you to do something that would kill you physically. It's amazing. It's amazing what will happen to you physically if you actually let your body purge a little bit. Amen? To go through a fast, a cleansing fast, and allow your body to cleanse and purify itself. It's amazing what happens. But I have to have a greater desire for and hunger for His purpose than for my desires. It takes a willingness to place certain things on the altar, allowing God to bring them back through resurrection. Sometimes we can't pursue God's purpose because there's just too much in our life. Some things I need to put on an altar and say, God, I'll let your will consume it. And if you want it for my life, I'll allow you to bring it back in resurrection. See, it takes the faith of Abraham. God said, Abraham, give me your son, your only son, Isaac. And Abraham said, God, I'll place whatever you ask of me on your altar. Even if it's my son, the promise. And I can believe that you can give him back in resurrection. Because see, once God gives something back to you in resurrection, it will never again have a greater hold on you than he does. All my habits, all the things, habits, not habits, but all my hobbies that I had, all the things I enjoyed, I put them on the altar. And God's given them back to me in resurrection. And now they no longer hold my life. I enjoy when I get to do them, but my life is full whether I do them or not. Because I'm not living for them, I'm living for Him. Do you understand that? It, it's amazing. God's here to help us, He's not against us. So it's putting those things on the altar and allowing God to bring them back in resurrection. You could write this down. Genesis 20, verses 22 to 26. After God gives the nation of Israel the Ten Commandments, they all run away from God because they heard His voice. And they told Him, this is how you approach me. You'll build an altar of earth. You won't form it. You won't anything on it. You just build it and shape it up. Raise up a mound that you can offer a sacrifice on. Or you can make it out of stones, but don't put steps on it lest you go up and your nakedness be exposed. God said, there's a way to approach me. So what's the purpose of an altar in prayer? It is first a place of worship. To see more in yourself than what you see, you're going to have to truly worship Him. It takes worship. And an altar brings us to that place of worship. It's where we express our need for God. Secondly, an altar is a place of sacrifice. 
It's a place we give ourselves to God, not partially, but completely. And thirdly, an altar was to be made of earth, expressing His coming to our earthly situations. When we keep the altar as a central part of our life and walk with God. See, many times people think about altar calls in our church and we're inviting people forward. They think, well, I'm okay, I'm doing right. But the altar is more than just getting right with God. It's living in His presence. It's a place I meet with God and God meets with us. It's that place of communion and fellowship and interaction with Him. It's a place where He shows me what He's put in me. It's that place where revelation takes place. It's an amazing place. We keep the altar as a central part of our life and walk with God. We're expressing our need for Him. We express our desire to give ourselves to Him. We come to say that we need heaven touching earth daily in our lives. I don't know about you. I need heaven touching earth every day in my life. I need God in my life every day. And having an altar in my heart, in my home, and in my church is so important we keep the altar we allow the chaff of this world to be burned off of our lives I don't know about you but it's very easy for this world to encrust my heart with its chaff I find myself being gripped by desires and things and pulled away the altar is the place where that chaff gets burned away awesome but what about here in church what about our prayer time what about these 21 days we're about giving ourselves to this what happens when you answer an altar call in church first of all it destroys pride because it's done in a public arena to come forward in a public place and pray and seek God means I have to let go of my pride it's a place where I could care less what people think about me do you understand that You need to be free from people. I got free from people a long time ago. I got delivered from their faces, from their opinions, and from everything else. Amen. I love people, but I refuse to live my life bound by their expectations. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not going to miss God in those areas. And so I don't care if I have to suck carpet and blow snot. I could care less people think. The altar revives our widowed spirit by its frequency. See, every week we invite people to find a place of prayer to come. Why? Because a widowed spirit is when you feel abandoned and alone and left with nobody around you. And when I come to the altar, I find out, you know what? I am not alone. I am not alone. He revives my widowed spirit. It provides fellowship through us praying for one another, laying hands on one another. It encourages prayer. At the end of the service, it establishes accountability through sharing our needs with others. It reveals our common need for God. Everybody look up here. Look up here. You need God. You need Him in your life. And you need to meet Him at a place called an altar. There's no substitute for the places God ordained for us to meet Him. None. We can become cultural and we can become relevant and we can become progressive, whatever we want to be. But we can't abstain from truth. And we can't do away with what God established. We have a need for God. An altar produces a worshipful environment. A place of worship, God. Because there, at an altar, the only one who can receive glory is God. 
And really, the only thing I have to give is myself. I could just give me. The other thing it does, it gives closure to the verdict that the message demands. See, every time we preach, you're really the jury and you're deciding the verdict of the closing argument. And you decide how you're supposed to, I don't want to say sentence yourself, but what, what, how are you supposed to respond? What's your action going to be? What's going to be your verdict? on how you will respond to what you've heard. The altar gives me that opportunity to respond. I don't know about you, I need God in my life. I can't come so short. I miss God so often. But then every time I get alone with Him, He, he just always tells me He sees more in me than what I see. He's not looking at my faults. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Let me ask you this. Well, you're there and your heads bowed before God. When was the last time you truly found yourself at an altar? Not repenting, not confessing, not having to get right, but just seeking God with a hunger and a passion to fulfill the destiny that he placed in your life not because you have to repent and you know what we, we need to repent every day there's a time when we just need to come into God's presence and say God I just I need to seek you I need you in my life God, I need this chaff burn off in my life. I need things I need to lay here. I need to let them go. I need you to bring them back in resurrection. Whatever it is, God, the things that keep me from you. I need to seek you. God, I just need you. I need this place where everything moves away from me and becomes all about you. In 1978, I went into a prayer room, and I love praying the sinner's prayer with people. But the sinner's prayer doesn't save you, it just introduces you to God. The day your salvation becomes a reality is the day you place your heart on an altar to God. And you say, from your heart God this is my life and I give it to you and you meet God in a place of consecrated prayer you and God alone you praying to God out of your heart not repeating words from another person but you pouring your heart out to God saying God I need you my life God And then you come out of that place of prayer with resurrection life. I'm asking you just to keep your heads bowed this morning just for a moment. I've asked Justin to come and sing. Lead us in the song, but 
This is what I'm going to ask you to do today. I'm asking you again, how long has it been since you've been at an altar seeking God? It's our last Sunday in 2015. Maybe today, if you don't know Christ, you would come forward and kneel at this altar and lay your life down and let Him raise you up with resurrected life. But maybe today you need to end this year saying, God, I just need to seek you. I'm coming just to seek you. Because I want to see what you see in me. I want to see the more. I want to live. I want to fulfill the more, God, that you put in me. So I'm inviting everyone. There's something about getting up from where you are and going to meet him at a place called an altar. Maybe today you would move towards God. These next few moments, let's close this year at an altar with God. If this all fills up up here, you could just come and find a place of prayer, a chair up here someplace. But I invite you to move towards God right now. Everybody should move. Everybody should say yes to God. Don't end this year. Hunger, seek after God. Go after God. Say yes, God. When was the last time? Just seeking Him. Say, God. Ask Him to burn the chaff of this life off for you. Yes, God, and our lives be lifted up. Yes, God. Oh, God, we need you in our lives, God. God, we don't need form. We don't need religion. We don't need a form of anything, God. We just need you. Father, at this altar today, meet us, oh God. Let us see the more that you see in us, God. Let us move past our failures. Let us move past our fears, God. Let us feel your embrace of restoration. Let us feel your healing love, God. Let us know your compassion today, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You answer us. When we call, you answer. When we call, you answer, God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father.